0: Great, Stu, and uh, hello, everyone. Um, What I hope to do um, in this episode is to summarize, if you like, in what I hope to be a user-friendly way, um, a line that we can take as parents or a framework we can use to help our children during this time. Um, Stu, I came across an article um, earlier or end of last week and um, it was talking about um, young people in the world today um, in the in the space that we're all in and um, that studies are showing that young people children and teens are disclosing less than they have before sharing less of what's going on um, inside of themselves um, with their parents um, with 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 adults that they trust so this is again a, a a warning to us a caution to us as parents to say we've got to get in there we've got to get into the emotional spaces that our children are occupying because for them I think it's hard harder for them at the moment to find the words to find the spaces to actually talk I think we're all in various stages overwhelmed we don't know quite how to describe what's going on inside of us and so um, more than before Um, We need to go there as parents, as families. We do need to sit around the table. We do need to go into our children, our teens' rooms, if we're feeling brave, and talk. Um, um, Obviously, we can share from our side as well because we're all in this together. But then, with the idea of anxiety, and I was talking to a mom the other day um, who, she has, in many respects, covered those three points of the Triangle. Um, that we've spoken about. Um, point one being the physiological arousal, the the real discomfort, uh, distress at a physical level that the anxiety or worry brings. Um, the second point being the mind, our what-if worries, um, and the third point being our behaviours, our inclination to avoid the horrible feeling, oftentimes by trying to control the variables, trying to button button things down and make sure that we don't go into, into perceived anxious spaces. So, we get locked into these patterns that we're often barely aware of. So, how does a parent um, talk to her child about this? How do, we, how do we help our kids? Now, in this case, the mum has been doing some work with her, her son. She has been talking with him about anxiety. So they understand the terms, if you like. And I think for parents, I'd want to say, give yourselves a chance to talk this through. This is not a once-off conversation, getting our, our understanding, if you like, our shared understanding of this thing called anxiety. It's not something that has to be wrapped up in any kind of hurry. But give yourselves a chance to to get it, to get the feel for it, so that uh, parent and child... Are able to talk, um, but using the same language, the same terms. um, It's really nice to have that shorthand reference to things that um, you know our kids are dealing with in the world out there. So, now in this case, her son was away for the weekend, was staying somewhere, um, and then anxiety caught a hold of him, and um, he gave his mom a call. Now, for any parent who who's been in this situation, not nice being phoned by our children when they're upset because we feel powerless we'd love to take them in our arms we'd love to do all the things that come instinctively to us as parents we want to protect them from hurt but in this case you know she couldn't so it was really only the conversation that she had um but thankfully she had um, a backlog of conversations that she and her son had already had around understanding anxiety and Really what it boils down to, and this is what she and I have been working on together with her child, it's a kind of a three-step sequence. Um, And step one was for her to talk with her son about I think this is anxiety. So he was now talking about something that had happened with his friends and, uh, you know, that got into a bit of a an argument and now, you know, it seemed like his friend wasn't being as friendly and here he was, he was staying for the weekend. You know, what should he do? Should he come home or, you know, whatever it might be. Now, um, obviously, like any good parent, she's going to coach at the practical level. Remember I said that worry logic and ordinary logic operate at two levels. She's going to talk to him about the real world logic, to give him some ideas, ways of repairing with her friend who he's known for a long time. So she did do that. It's not like we have to not be helpful and practical and concrete as parents. We can go straight to solving the problem out there. But because of the work we'd done, she also knew, and her son kind of knew as well, that there was worry feeding this. So she went into the worry logic, which again goes to Just acknowledge and recognize and name the worry, name it, so that the person can actually have a handle on this horrible feeling that's potentially going to get them to, you know, go home or pull the plug or, you know, withdraw or be, uh, you know, socially frozen, immobilized because so worried that now things are going to go badly. So step one between the mum and the son was to name the worry, to say, sweetheart, I think you're also really worried. I think worry is telling you, you know, that Simon doesn't like you anymore. Um, You know, something to that effect. Does that make sense so far?
1: Yeah, it certainly does, Rob. It does make sense. Okay.
0: So with that in mind, and again, bear in mind that this mum and son had done quite a bit of talking beforehand. It's going to be hard for a child to do this on the hop over the phone. Um, but this is where that got to this ability to talk in this effective strategic way around worry step one name the the, the worry call it actually describe it it's there so the child says yeah mom you're right (laughs) I am running kind of hot I am actually feeling all those feelings I'm feeling pretty horrible and I've got that horrible dread or, or feeling like you know this friendship might be over step two would be to contain that now we're going to the body, which would be in the boy's case, even while he was talking with mom, and by the way, in talking with his mom, he was already starting to feel better. Let's remember that. That as we join with our children, as we understand and accept their worries, they start to relax.
1: Rob, so just one thing on that. So that, that first that first step of uh you know naming it and and helping your child actually understand what it is. One of the things that I think has been helpful as our parent, okay, has been to also reassure that it's okay to feel that. Um, and I've, maybe that also is for little kids, I don't know. But, uh, but just to actually say the words, it's okay, that makes sense. It makes sense that you're feeling like that.
0: Absolutely. And um, I, I completely endorse that. Um, it's oftentimes in our tone as well. The mere fact that we, that we go there ourselves with our kids I think demonstrates to them that we accept it, that it is okay, um, that we're not ourselves getting you know really worked up or agitated or annoyed or whatever the case may be. so we, we we accept it, and that is really, really crucial because what it does is it helps the child almost turn towards himself with an accepting mind and an ability to start to be curious and and potentially creative with this feeling so the acceptance is really really key from us we kind of sponsor that in our children because we accept it because we receive it and we name it um, and understand it we help them to do the same and that's going to be a really vital base it's going to enable them to move on to the the next steps that um, they need to take so yes absolutely
1: so, so, yes, you were gonna go on and onto step two after naming
0: right, so uh, we accept it, we know that it's there. um one of the things that can be useful, and here I'm borrowing a bit from Dr. Brewer, who's done a lot of great work on anxiety um and anxiety management um The thing about worrying is that it feels like we it feels right, it feels like um we're busy. Uh, solving the issue or it feels like we got it under control and control is obviously a really big part of worry so stewing away worrying about something kind of feels congruent when we are experiencing the arousal the physiological uh, discomfort that comes with anxiety worrying feels right so step two I often say to young people it's gonna feel weird it's gonna feel wrong Because what I want you to do right now is I want you to take, and I typically use, a six-count breath. And I think I've spoken about that before, which would be a nice, even, regular in-breath and out-breath to a comfortable count of six. And then what the young person practices doing with me in my room is counting to six in their minds, and what this does is, at the physical level, the breathing helps them to regulate and feel a bit calmer. But crucially, at the mind level, they're shifting their mind from worrying, the, the magnetism of worrying, to counting, which seems inane. It's like ridiculous. There's a crisis going on, and you're asking me to count. So that's the weird part for us as, as humans. It feels strange to not worry. ...to set it aside. But I can't emphasize that step enough. And I say to young people, when you do this, it's like clearing the screen. It's like wiping the, uh, the the chalkboard. You've got yourself a clear space to think and to remember about what you're going to do next. So, and I say to young people as well, depending on how how badly anxious you are, you'll need to breathe for longer... The worse, the more tense you feel, uh, the longer you might need to to breathe until you feel contained enough. Again, you don't have to feel unanxious. That's not the goal. You just want to get your bearings. You want to get your head above the water so that you feel ready to take step three. And step three will be to go forward in a way that you actually, that your better self would like to go. Your best self would like to go. So it could be in this child's case that he goes back and says to Simon, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want to fight with you. Please can we uh, uh, get on with things, uh, be friends, let's carry on with that game. I did feel like it was my turn but I think it's fair enough, you go ahead, you you do it and uh, we can carry on playing like that. Whatever it is that mum and son have been thinking would be a good Um, really kind of an amazing next step for the boy to take, that he can come back and say, I'm pretty proud that I did that, whatever it might be. Of course, if Simon was being a real jerk, let's flip it for a bit. Let's say Simon was actually being, you know, a bully, and um, he'd always been a bit of a jerk, and mum had worried about this and said, son, you know, you've got to draw boundaries. You've got to be able to say no then maybe in actual fact for him it would be to say, sweetheart, I think this is the time you need to call it and say, Simon, I don't think you're actually a very nice friend. Either you change while I'm here or I am going home. So again, there's no saying what the right behavior is because it's going to depend very much on the circumstances. But this is what we're doing. We're calling ourselves and our children to the best way that we can think of. Um, in the face of our fears, in the face of our
1: worries. Yeah, Robert, I I suppose what it does for me is it also just reminds me again, and I know we've said this often, but it reminds me that if I'm not able to do that for myself, I mean, I can think of, I don't have teenagers yet, but I can think of a teenager phoning me, you know, later in my life with this real anxiety. Uh, I can imagine myself, as, as you've said before, getting very anxious myself. And actually practicing these things ourselves first, uh, and and getting good at them. I mean, I'm not suggesting we don't do them with our kids as well. But I'm just saying, I know for myself, I still need some practice <laughs> um, in 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 some of these things. One other, one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit on step two is, uh, you know, I've i found, and maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I found the breathing thing. Uh, it helps, but it doesn't help me immensely. Uh, oddly enough, and uh, but you c- you know these other things that I'm going to mention aren't aren't simple to do just when you in any but uh, but I find a you know just as an aside I, I, like having a cold shower calms me down quite a lot, and I suppose it's that sensation of just having to focus on something else because it's cold and you you breathing or um or as I've said before, so just sitting down and writing like getting it all out of my head onto a piece of paper but I suppose there there will be different things I still do do the do breathing sometimes when I'm when I'm feeling overwhelmed is the particular feeling that I often get and um, that for me is an anxious feeling but uh, are there other things other than breathing that that someone can do or yeah
0: there certainly are I mean, I think it's anything. As you write, you're right, you're right. As you say, when you when you go into a cold shower, it's such a sensory experience that it takes us out of ourselves almost. It takes us back into our bodies. We start to focus on something immediate, something there, um, now, that we can pay attention to. And this is what I think helps us to to find again a kind of a neutral space, a more mindful place, a calm space and we can start to make better choices once we get there. And again, it depends on circumstances. Let's say that uh, this son, he wasn't in this case, but let's say he was at a beach cottage and there was a beach just down the way, you know, for you to say, why don't you just go and walk to the rocks and back or mm-hmm. go and put your feet in the cold water, whatever was appropriate to that circumstance, it helps a person to, to get their bearings. But you're quite right, breathing is only one way the reason why people often choose it is partly physiological, because the breathing goes out of whack when we're anxious, but also because it's, it's always there. And I tend to go for something that I know the child can always turn to in any circumstance, but certainly talk about other things that they can do depending on where they are. You know, late at night, when you actually want to go to sleep, you don't have a lot of options really. And I think this is why I go to the simplest, uh, the most present option first and let them practice before going on to a whole bunch of other possible ways
1: yeah i know that that makes complete sense to me i think um yeah i i think uh breathing does make the most sense as you say because it has a physiological effect on you and uh and then I, just to f- to finish off then i suppose your your drive here is to help us our children get to a place where we are more present and able to make wiser choices with with you know courageous choices rather than reactive choices yeah so you know if i was to take
0: one of the major things we want to give to our children is this ability to self-regulate and to choose what they want to do in the midst of emotion know how to manage that, that emotional space now COVID has been a particularly difficult time emotionally and socially so you know the waters are really choppy and uh, nonetheless I'm mean, or perhaps perhaps especially now if we can teach our kids to self-regulate to cope with these difficult emotions well it's going to be an enormous thing for them going forward it's going to be a resource that uh, equips them for a whole bunch of stuff um um, in their lives going forward
1: thanks rob such good stuff and i think that brings to an end our our discussions on anxiety and i think you mentioned that we would we would look at mood uh, next yes that's right Stu
0: we'll go into mood next time which in many ways is like if not a sibling at least a cousin of anxiety
1: awesome rob